Well, this morning, we'll be looking at Psalm 46. If you need a copy of the scriptures, there should be one in the chair uh, underneath you or nearby. So Psalm 46. And as you open your Bibles to Psalm 46, listen to these words by James Montgomery Boyce regarding a well-known reformer. He wrote, quote, Whenever the stress and pressures of life would become too severe, Martin Luther would say, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. They would then sing Luther's version, which we have come to know as a mighty fortress is our God. And so in Psalm 46, we get a glimpse of who God is, as well as the resulting calm, the resulting comfort that God makes available to his covenant people, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of chaos. And so follow along as I read this favorite hymn of Luther, which I trust will bring comfort to your soul as well today. Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose mountains make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the, the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So Psalms 46 is a song of celebration. And it's composed of three sections with two refrains. And so we could summarize the first section or the first three verses as on your handout there, the calming presence of God, the calming presence of God. Look again at verses one through three. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse two, therefore we will not fear. Then what do we see there in the rest of verses two and three? We see that Israel praises God and they praise God even in the midst of some extreme situations. And so notice this word, though. It's used four times in describing some catastrophic circumstances. Verse 2 says, though the earth gives way. Or in other words, though the earth is radically changed. And then, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Now, this is not just an image of the foothills getting splashed with a little bit of water. But rather, the imagery here is a mountain range being tossed into the depths of the sea. Verse three, though its 
waters, the waters of the sea, though they roar and foam. Now, recently we were down on the coast, father-son fishing trip. We got to stand there on the beach, and the, the waves just kind of lapped up around our feet. It was calming. It was soothing. That's not the context here. Rather, the imagery here is that of a tsunami coming in, destroying everything in its path. And so in the scriptures, mountains, oh, the last phrase there, the mountains tremble at its swelling. And so in the scriptures, mountains often represents stability, uh, a strong natural defense, a place of refuge. And so what is being communicated here when these mountains, which represent that place of security, that place of stability, when they are catastrophically swallowed up by the sea? Well, these opening verses of Psalm 46 expose the frailty of mankind in the midst of catastrophes, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of conflict. And so let's consider for a moment this question. What is our own tendency when our lives are turned upside down? What is our tendency when our lives are turned upside down, when our world seems to be falling apart? Is there not a temptation perhaps to to sinful fear when we are suddenly reminded that we are actually not in control? In fact, when we are left to ourselves, there is no real hope for our situation. And yet, that is the exact opposite of how God's people respond here in Psalm 46. Though their entire world be turned upside down, in verse 2 they conclude this, Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. That they would not fear means that they would not be overcome with anxious dread in the midst of difficult circumstances, even as they face danger and armies, as we'll look at in a moment. As we'll see in the rest of Psalm 46, they concluded that fear was in essence irrational because where God is, there is all power on behalf of his people. As with Israel, tragedies certainly come upon us today and trials test us that far exceed our own strength. Have you ever felt that your world has been turned upside down? Psalm 46, when the world around them was in chaos, how could they say, we will not fear? And today, how can we say, in the midst of our own trials and tribulations, we will not fear? Well, according to verse 1, they would not fear because they knew that God is God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, this profound truth really is a cause to pause and to evaluate what we are actually believing about God and what we are functionally putting our trust in, perhaps even right now. How would you and I, at this very minute, fill in this blank? Blank is my refuge and strength. Blank is my refuge and strength. When it comes down to it, if we are seeking a refuge, if we are seeking stability in perhaps our bank accounts or perhaps in our health or perhaps in relationships, performance, approval of others, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment and 
perhaps even for uh, of catastrophic proportions, uh, when those things which we are after uh, do not take place, or the things that we don't want do take place, when disaster uh, perhaps comes upon us. And yet the psalmist declares that for the people of God, God is their refuge and strength. And so for us, does knowing that God is our refuge and strength, does it bring us comfort? Comfort, do we know that he will truly uphold us even if we go through the valley of the shadow of death? Does knowing God as refuge and strength bring you conviction? Are you looking to someone or something else as a refuge and as your strength? Does knowing God as our refuge and strength perhaps bring about confusion? If God is my refuge and strength, then why is life so hard right now? And why do I feel so weak? If God is our refuge and strength, do you find confidence? As God has proven himself to be faithful to his word time and time again throughout history, will you trust him to uphold you in your life as well? Do you have confidence that he is a God who is indeed faithful? Well, to each Of these promises, each of these responses, let us be encouraged by who God is. And so here in verse 1, God's people proclaimed that God is their refuge. God is their refuge. The word refuge is used repeatedly throughout the Psalms. And a refuge can refer to a place to flee, a shelter, a secure dwelling place, or even a high rock. For instance, Psalm 62 verse 7 says, On God, rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. And so as Noah and his family found refuge in the ark during the flood, so God proved himself also to be a refuge for Israel in their exodus out of slavery there in Egypt as the Pharaoh's army pursued them. Time and time again through the scriptures, God proved to be not only a refuge for his people, but as Psalm 46, 1 continues, God was also their strength. God, in his strength, was their strength. He was their stronghold. He was their fortification. If you turn over a couple chapters to Psalm 59, verses 16 and 17, Psalm 59, 16, and 17. Here, the psalmist declares this about the strength of the Lord and the Lord being their strength. Psalm 59, 16, and 17. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Do we know him in this way? Psalm 46, 1 continues, quote, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What an encouraging emphasis. It's not just that God is a present help. He is a very present help in trouble. 
in trouble or in times of adversity and anguish. God is very present with his people. Spurgeon comments on God's being very present as he writes that God is, quote, more present than friend or relative can be, more present than even trouble itself. To this comforting truth is the consideration that he comes at the needed time. He is a friend in your need, and he is a friend indeed. He has been tried and proved. He never withdraws himself from the afflicted. He is their help, unquote. And so having chosen Israel as a people unto himself, listen to these verses that echo the very presentness of God, the nearness of God to his needy people. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7 declares, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Psalm 145, verse 18 emphasizes that the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. And so God is with his people as they acknowledge him for who he is. This fear, their fear of overwhelming circumstances is rather overcome by his omnipotent presence with them. Now it is also worth noting here at the end of verses 3, 7, and 11, there is this little word, Selah. Pronounce that as you will. Selah is how I'm going to pronounce it. But Selah. Selah is a word used 74 times in the Psalms. And as I looked at what various commentators had to say about this word, the the term is believed by many to signify a pause in the music, giving the worshipers an opportunity to reflect upon, to contemplate what they have just stated, the words uh, that they have just sung to the Lord. Uh, taking time to pause and to meditate upon his goodness, who the Lord is. And so in contemplating Psalm 46, 1 through 3, why therefore did Israel declare that they would not fear, though their world be turned upside down? Well, because as verse 1 declares, God is. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so God's presence enabled calmness in the midst of calamity, And to know him in this way led them to turn to him without delay. And hopefully that is true of us as well. Well, moving to the next section in Psalm 46, looking at verses 4 through 7, we see here on your outline a second point, the comforting protection of God. First, we have the calming presence of God, and then next, the comforting protection of God. Verses four through seven, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now, to help us understand these verses, uh, there's three questions I'd like for us to consider. First, what exactly is this city of God? What is the city of God? Well, the second half of verse 4 informs us that the city of God is 
the holy habitation of the Most High. So we know at least from here, it's the place in which he, he dwells. And if you look over a couple chapters of Psalm 48, we get more information as to what the city of God is. And so in Psalm 48, 1 through 3, we find here the declaration, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. And so in the immediate context, the city of God would be Jerusalem. And while God is certainly omnipresent, he's dwelling everywhere in the fullness of who he is all the time, he chose in a very special way to manifest his, manifest his presence there among his people in Jerusalem, in the temple, his designated place to be worshipped during the time of the kings. And so what made Jerusalem unique was not just this elaborate temple, but it was God's special blessing, his special presence there with his people. So looking again at verse 4, there is a second question here for consideration. Verse 4 declares, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So what is this river that made the people of God glad? What is this river that we should want today that, seeks, that makes us glad as well? And so in contrast here to verses 2 and 3 where the imagery was of those raging waters, verse 4 describes water that appears calm and that brings about gladness to God's people. Now, while there was indeed a tunnel built by King Hezekiah that brought some life-sustaining water into the pool of Siloam there in Jerusalem, there was no physical river running through the city of Jerusalem. And so rather, the text here points to a different kind of river, a spiritual stream whose waters make the city of God glad. And as we look at the scriptures, this imagery of water, it literally flows throughout the scriptures all the way to the very end. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, where it says, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And so what is this river, this water that makes God's people glad? It is the comforting, calming sustaining grace of the Most High, which flows from him and is a blessing to the people of God. And thus, John Calvin wrote this, although the help of God comes to our aid in a secret and gentle manner, like the still flowing streams, yet it imparts to us more tranquility of mind than if, the whole power of the world were gathered together for our help. The God of grace is able to give all grace to his people. But let's pretend that perhaps the whole world, rather than seeking to help us, the whole world is actually after us. The whole world is against us. Well, what then? Well, verse five says, God is in the midst of her, Zion, she shall not be moved. God 
will help her when morning dawns. And so we find here another contrast in verses 2 through 3 where the imagery uh, is mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. We find here uh, something different. And so a third question is this, what keeps the city of God from being moved? Well, verse 5 says, the city of God shall not be moved. Why? Because God will help her when dawn comes. And so God had made Jerusalem his special dwelling place for his people. And so for somebody, for an army to come in and to overtake Jerusalem, they would literally have to overtake God himself. Now, what's the possibility of that taking? A great army coming to to fight against its very creator, the one who has infinite power. There is no possibility of that taking place. And so the people knew God's presence, and they knew the God of peace as they were in Jerusalem looking to him. Verse 6 says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Then what? He utters his voice, the earth melts. And so as we consider this text, the question comes up, is there a particular historical event, encounter, in which this psalm is specifically written to? Well, possibly. Commentators aren't sure. There's not necessarily a direct reference. Uh, but it is very likely that this account, this psalm, was written in response uh, to uh, the king of Assyria uh, as the Assyrian conqueror Sennacherib during the reign of King uh, Hezekiah. And so in 2 Kings 18 through 19, uh, we study that and we see that this great, massive army has been making its way towards Jerusalem. And as it does so, it's left a pathway of destruction and carnage all the way up to the very walls of Jerusalem itself. And as the messengers of Sennacherib came to the walls there at Jerusalem, they not only mocked God, they also mocked the people of God as they called them to surrender. And so what does King Hezekiah do? He goes to the prophet Isaiah and he seeks counsel about what he should do. And Hezekiah did just that. He took refuge in the Lord and he did so through prayer. This great army coming to desolate them and he does what we should all do in the midst of our own afflictions and trials and temptations. We, we go to the Lord in prayer. We take our refuge in him. Listen to what happened then during the night as recorded in Isaiah 37, verses 36 and 37. It says, The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Israel, departed. And so was delivering Jerusalem from this great army too difficult for the Lord? It was as nothing to him. Psalm 46, 6 says, He utters his voice and the earth melts. And where does this omnipotent God dwell that can melt the earth with a single word? Well, the answer is repeated in the refrain found in both verses 7 and 11. In verse 7, the Lord of hosts is where? He is with us. The God of Jacob is our 
fortress, Selah. The Lord dwelt with his people in Jerusalem, showing forth his power. In Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, it says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And so as we see throughout Scripture, God reigns supreme over all of his creation. And he does so with infinite power. And he does so, though we may not always see and understand it, he does so with an ultimate purpose. He reigns with infinite power and with ultimate purpose. And so verse 7 says, The Lord, or the God of Jacob, is our fortress. Now, to have God as their fortress means that they were protected by God's supreme, infinite power as God, through them, shows his steadfast love and as God, through them, shows his glory to the nations. And that brings us then to Psalm 46, verses 8 through 11, our third point where we see the comprehensive power of God, the comprehensive power power of God. And so as God's power is infinite, he reigns supreme over all things, over all people, and for all time. And therefore, in all time, all people should humbly submit themselves to him in all and in worship of him. And to that end, in verse 8, we have the first command of the psalm, declaring who God is, declaring the situation. And then we have the command given to the people of God in verse 8. says, come, behold. Well, come behold what? Come behold the works of the Lord. I think, I know in my own life, often I'm tempted to behold my circumstances and the workings of this world. And when I behold that and make that my focus, it leads me towards anxious despair. And yet, The psalmist calls them, commands them to come behold, not what is going on around you, but behold God himself and behold the works of God, this one who is infinite in power, this one who is with you. And so that's why the command in verse 8 is not to make their primary focus upon what's going around, but to make their focus upon the God of hosts whose infinite power is able to shine forth his infinite glory. And so if the context of Psalm 46 is indeed the invasion of Sennacherib's army upon Jerusalem, can you imagine that after a long night of awaiting this invasion upon Jerusalem, you get up in the morning when morning dawns, you look out over those walls and what do you see? It's not this army rushing at you. It's 185,000 dead soldiers that the angel of the Lord took care of during the night while they waited upon the Lord prayerfully. And so Psalm 46, 8 through 10 commands us, commanded them, commands us today, come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then note in verse 10, in quotes, we have another command. This command likely is a reference from Exodus chapter 14. 
Exodus chapter 14, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so going back to where the context of this came from, Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites were trapped between the Red Sea and the mighty army of Pharaoh. They were out there seeking to worship the Lord. The Egyptians come after them, and they are trapped between the army and the sea. Yet in Exodus chapter 14, 13, and 14, it says this, Moses then said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent, or also translated, be still. You know the story. God parted the waters, and his people went across the Red Sea on dry land. Pharaoh's army then pursued them. And then we see this in Exodus 14. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Not one of them remained. Then Exodus 14.31 concludes, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And so from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Jacob to Moses to the kings and the prophets, God's people as well as the nations had time and time again seen the power and the covenant faithfulness of God displayed. Be still and know that I am God. Therefore, the refrain in verse 46, verse 7, is also repeated in verse 11, as Israel celebrates. They celebrate the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This God who is infinite in power, this God who is present with us, this God who is able to protect us, he is our God. And he is with us. And so Psalm 46 was a song of celebration. It was a psalm of confidence. It was a psalm of comfort for those in the city of God. And so as we contemplate what we can learn about God in Psalm 46, it ought to likewise lead us to celebrate today as Christ's church, as God's people. God calls us today to come to behold who he is, to consider what he has done and what he will do. And so with Israel, tragedies come upon us today. Trials test us that far exceed our own strength. And so again, I put this question before us. Have you ever felt that your world has been turned upside down? In addition to the moral and the political chaos of not just our country, but of the world, or perhaps you're in a relationship that has turned sour, or you have received a bad report from the doctor, or you've received uh, the news of the death of a loved one. In this fallen world, there will be circumstances that will seek to overwhelm us and that will seek to 
destroy us, to undo us. And therefore, how we fill in the following blank makes all the difference in the world. How we fill in this blank may not change our circumstances, but how we fill in this blank will have every implication upon our disposition and our response to our circumstances, however overwhelming they may be. And so what would you put in this blank? God is. God is. What would you put after that? God is. Psalm 46, they celebrated God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Do we know him that way? A.W. Tozer wrote this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so while God does not change, what you and I believe about him certainly changes whether we will run to him in our afflictions or whether we will run from him. A right understanding of God leads to right living where anxiety is displaced with peace, where despair is displaced with hope, where cursing is displaced with compassion, and where sorrow turns to joy. And therefore, from Psalm 46, let us consider four timeless truths of who God is that should lead us then to want to run to God rather than from Him. And so first, by way of application, in Christ, God is our refuge. God is our refuge. Psalm 46.1 started out with the celebration that God is our refuge. Then in the refrain, verses 7 and 11, concludes that with God, uh, he is our fortress. He's our refuge. He is our fortress. Now, back in those days, living near Jerusalem would have brought a sense of security because If an army was coming at you, you could flee into this refuge, into this very fortified city of Jerusalem. And yet far greater than taking refuge in the city of God was to take refuge in the God of the city. And while the city of God there, in a sense, has changed, the God of the city, the God who is eternal, has not changed. And in Christ, he is now our refuge, and he calls us to flee to him. Psalm 119, 114 says of God, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. It is the testimony of God's children that God is indeed a fortress when tragedy strikes. Many of you know the story of Jim Elliott. Uh, Perhaps a little less known is Elizabeth Elliott, Uh, As all of you probably know, Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Aka Indians, and in seeking to share the gospel with them, he was martyred. He was killed for his faith. But less known is that later in life, Elizabeth Elliott remarried, and her second husband also died after a long bout and difficult struggle with cancer. Elizabeth referred to both of these tragedies with Psalm 46 in view as she wrote a pamphlet called Facing the Death of Someone You Love. Listen to her words. Everything that has seemed most dependable 
has given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is receding. In such a time, it is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. What great words she found comfort in. What a great God brought comfort to her. Only God is a believer's tried and true refuge and strength and everlasting help in times of trouble. And since God is our refuge, let us always run to him. Next, God is not only our refuge, according to Psalm 46.1, but we also see in Psalm 46.1 that God is our strength. Verse 5 says, the city of God shall not be moved. And so though the mountains may be thrown into the heart of the sea, God's people are ultimately upheld by his infinite power. We've seen this. God is our strength through the Apostle Paul. As Jonathan's been preaching through Acts, as we just saw in Philippians, though Paul faced persecution, though he faced beatings, though he was stoned in the midst of all these things, what do we see in Paul? He was able to endure these things even with joy and contentment because he knew the reality of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God was a strength for those there in Psalm 46, and he has not changed. He is still the strength of his people today as we look to him. Paul knew Christ has infinite strength, and therefore he wrote in Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And then in verse 7, he concludes, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so since God is our source of strength, we must learn to look to him and to depend upon him. But not only is God our refuge and strength, A third truth that we can take from this passage is that God is our present help. God is our present help. He is not distant from his people. In fact, verse 1 says God is, again, a very present help in trouble. In verse 5, it says that God is in the midst of her. God will help her when morning dawns. In verses 7 and 11, it declares that the Lord of hosts is with us. And so again, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time in the fullness of who he is. His steadfast love and his power always work to the ultimate good of his people for his own glory. And therefore God is very present with us, helping us to look to his son, helping us in the midst of our afflictions become like his son. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is near. Near to whom? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And so while God's people are not certainly exempt from times of distress and difficulties and darkness, the light comes in the morning to those whom God is with. God is our very present help, and so let us seek him knowing according to Philippians 4.19 that he will supply our every need 
according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. A fourth truth that should bring us comfort from Psalm 46, 1 through 3, is that God is our peace. God is our peace. For believers, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The result is, as verse 2 says, therefore we will not fear. Though our world be turned upside down, we will not fear. And so what is the opposite of fear and anxiety? Is it not peace? Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God is our peace. Do you remember the account of when Jesus was crossing over the sea? His disciples are with him in the boat, and this big storm comes upon them. While he's sleeping, the disciples are panicking, and they cry out to Jesus there as we see uh, in Mark, uh, do you not care that we are perishing? And then in Mark 4.39, it records that Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And so certainly Jesus is able to bring calm out of difficult situations, but far greater than the external things that take place is that within, the peace that God is able to give us in our hearts, the peace that God is able to bring about through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is the greatest peace that we need, not better circumstances. Peace isn't ultimately the absence of conflict. The peace that we need is peace with God and the peace of God. And so that end, let me close with these words by Richard Phillips as he writes on Psalm 46, in light of Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Listen to these very important words. Martin Luther realized his need for God's protection. And he also realized that if God is with us, we truly have nothing to fear. But how was he sure that God was with him? The answer is found in Jesus Christ, God's Son, who came to this world to save and to protect all who come to him in faith. Luther knew that the greatest storm is the coming judgment of God at the end of history, when God's wrath will lash out in unabated fury against all who have sinned and never repented. Such wrath is something truly to fear. And Luther knew that the only fortress strong enough to withstand it is the cross where Jesus died to put away our sin and to restore us to God's love. He also knew that the Savior he found at the cross is strong enough to protect us from every storm. Can you say that? Can you say that you know you will triumph through the worst that this world can give you, even death itself? If not, then your great and urgent need is to be able to say, the Lord of hosts is with me. The God of Jacob is my fortress, Psalm 46, 7. Until you know that, you have every reason to fear the storms that will surely come of various types and sizes, most especially the storm of God's wrath in the final judgment. But if you will come to Jesus Christ in faith, receiving him as God's own son and your savior, 
then God will be with you. God will protect you and provide for you and show you his glory. And though the earth gives way and the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea, you will not be overcome for God will be your fortress. You will not be moved for God will help you when the morning dawns. In Christ, God is our peace. He is the God of peace and he's able to provide us the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself for who you are, that you are indeed a mighty fortress. Father, I pray for each of us here this morning that we would look to you afresh, that we would remember who you are as you have revealed yourself to us through your word, through your history, as you have proven yourself faithful again and again. Father, forgive us when we have looked to other things, when we have looked to other people to be our fortress, to be our strength, to be our refuge. Father, help us to look afresh upon Christ and what he has accomplished at the cross, and even now at your right hand, what he is accomplishing. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that through your shed blood, we can have peace with God. And so we thank you for the sacrifice of yourself, that you died for our sins, that we might have your righteousness before the Father. And help us until your return to continue to look to you, that you would continue to be our refuge, that you would continue to be our strength in the midst of our trials, our tribulations, the various afflictions that we face here on this earth. And that though this world might bring us much sorrow, our joy in you would be far greater. And so uphold your people. Father, we pray that you would not only preserve us, but you would also help us to be a testimony to the nations as Israel was meant to be to the nations at that time. Father, help us to have the light of Christ shine forth from us through our words, through our deeds, that we would in every way be set apart unto him, that he would be glorified, and that his name would be proclaimed, and that we would have the joy of living faithfully and joyfully as those who have been made at peace with you through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.